sun it's kind of low in the horizon now and it's getting in my eyes so I may actually put my sunglasses on occasionally I'm not sure yet I don't like to do that when I'm speaking but I also don't like to squint so much so I'm trying to figure it out so anyways uh, I want to just uh, tell you how great grateful I am that all of you are here this morning for those of you who are watching at home online it is great having you uh, last week we heard from our uh, from Ron Quint our good friend and former evangelist of the Valley Church who reminded us that Jesus' yoke is easy and that his burden is light. Today, I'm going to go back to our series one-on-one with Jesus, and we're going to take a look at an interaction between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. As always, the goal is to learn something relevant to our life and faith today. So let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever been in a conversation or a meeting or a, or a lecture at school where you, you learned all kinds of really good and important information, but at the end of the day, there was really only one piece of that information that mattered to you in that particular time. I uh, can tell you a few years back, my wife and I were mentoring an intern uh, couple. They were interning for the church for a time, and great couple. They did a great job for the time that they were interning. And uh, we we went to a staff meeting together, and when I talk about a staff meeting, I talk about a meeting of our our fellow ministry uh, couples that are here in Simi and Oxnard, the Valley, Santa Clarita, and we we uh, get together and we would have you know, regular meetings to just talk about how ministry was going. And if you've never been to a ministry meeting, they usually start off with some sharing, some good news. And then we get into uh, maybe some prayer, there's some singing, and then usually there's a Bible lesson. It's all good stuff. It's great. And then usually at the end, there's the business stuff. We go through the calendar. We talk about uh, different details of things that we just need to know about for what's coming up. And after that meeting, I pulled this intern aside and I said, you know, how, how are you doing? And he said, great. And I said, what'd you think of that meeting? Um, it was amazing. And I, you know, it was one of his first ones. And he thought it was incredible. It was great. And I said, well, what was your biggest takeaway? And he's like, wow, that message was so good. I was so inspired. And, and I needed to, you know, I just need to be a, whatever the message was, I need to be more faithful or I need to be more committed or, you know, whatever it was. And I said, yeah, that's great, brother. I said, but that's not the most important thing you needed to take away from this meeting, and he said, okay, what is it? And I said, well, do you remember at the very end when they said that you're responsible for booking the next venue for the next big event? (laughs) That's the thing you gotta remember to do after this meeting. You know, life is so much like that, isn't it? Great stuff, big stuff, important stuff, but then there's these other things that we just can't lose sight of. Well, the, the talk with the Samaritan woman is a little bit like that. We're gonna go through it sort of section by section. And what you're going to find out is there's incredible stuff here. We're going to draw out some great, important, meaningful stuff. But at the very end of it, that's the thing I want you to take home. Okay? So I want to put that into your mind right now. Turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to pray before we read. Father, thank you for this time to bring us together. Thank you for your love for each and every one of us. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you here and at home. We're so grateful that we can do this and be together like this. I pray for our world right now and all the stuff that's going on that you bring about peace and understanding, that you bring about healing, and that you bring about uh, just a greater sense of faith and love for you. We also pray, God, that you help people get through this difficult time, that whatever it is, the vaccines or whatever, that we can, we can get these things done and taken care of so we can get back to some healthy and, and good functioning with each other where we can be together like we once were. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to read John chapter 4, 
We're going to start in verse 1. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it from, from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, that water, the water I give them, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. He said to her, you are right when you say you had no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, will he explain everything to us? Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now I said at the beginning that there's a lot going on in this one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And for time's sake, I'm going to have to go through it kind of in chunks. And the first chunk that I want to look at has to do with the reason why Jesus went to Samaria in the first place. So in verse 1, it says here, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees, learned that the, had heard that the Pharisees, <laughs> now Jesus learned that, that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So we see right away that Jesus' reasons for leaving the area he was in, which was in Judea in the south of Palestine, was because of the unwanted attention of the local religious authorities. And then in verse 4, it says that he had to go through, Jerusalem, uh, through Samaria. Now, at first glance, you and I might not think that's all that big of a deal because Jesus was in the south of Palestine, in the area called Judea, and he was going back to Galilee, which is in the north of Palestine, and Samaria was in the middle. So it would make sense that he would have to go through Samaria to get back home. Seems like a, a foregone conclusion, right? And at first, this detail may not seem all that significant, but the fact is it's actually very, very significant. Because for centuries, the Jews and the Samaritans had been at odds with each other over a variety of things, not to mention a number of religious things. As a result, high-minded Jews and high-minded Samaritans often refused to go 
or have anything to do with each other, and let alone pass through each other's territory. And so it was not uncommon for someone like Jesus, who was traveling from the south of Palestine up to the north, to take a three-day detour to the east, cross the Jordan River, and go through the Decapolis, uh, Perea and the Decapolis, instead of Samaria. He would take a, a whole round trip. That was not uncommon for high-minded Jews to do something like that when they were traveling between the two regions north and south because they just didn't want to go through Samaria. That's how deep this animosity ran. I want you to imagine for a minute if we were going to walk from here to Sun Valley without going through the San Fernando Valley. That would be a bit of a, a, bit of a hike. I mean, we, we'd either have to go way down to Santa Monica and figure out some way back, or we'd have to go way up into the mountains and over this way, right? It would, it would add a lot of trouble to our commute. That ought to give you some indication of how deep this animosity between the two groups was. Now, given this, why does the text say that Jesus had to go through Samaria? When the fact is that he didn't. In fact, in his time, for someone of his stature, it would have been proper and expected to not go through Samaria. But why did he have to? Was he in a hurry? Was he trying to get back home as quick as possible? Was he pragmatic? It was just the straightest line? I don't, I don't know all the reasons, but here's one thing I do know. Jesus never really seems to care when I read scripture. He never really seems to care about the opinions of high-minded people. Especially when they had opinions regarding ethnic and religious differences. So maybe that's why. Maybe that's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Because he wanted to show his followers and us to not let the high-minded views of others become our views. We're going to read on here in verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Now the plot of ground Jacob had, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when the Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So even though the route through Samaria for, for Jesus and his gang would have been a much shorter than going the three-day detour on the east side of the Jordan, it was still longer than, let's say, you and I drive into Vegas, right? It wasn't, this wasn't hours. This was days of a journey. And so along the way, they would have to stop occasionally to rest and resupply. And sure enough, while they were in Samaria, they stopped by a well to rest and resupply. The disciples went into town to get food and supplies. Jesus hung out by the well. It was a hot afternoon. And this is where the famous one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and the Samaritan woman took place. And it all started when Jesus surprised her with a request for a drink of water. Now, you may wonder, why is that surprising? Well, it was surprising for a number of reasons. Number one, he was a man, she was a woman, and in that era, at that time, Men and women rarely spoke to one another in public, especially if they weren't married or related in some way. Number two, she was a Samaritan. As I already said, there was all kinds of animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. Number three, according to rabbinic tradition at the time, Samaritan women were considered unclean. And so Jesus interacting with her, especially in a way that would involve physical contact or the sharing of a utensil, would have made him unclean. And number four, it was surprising because they were actually alone. And the woman might have got the wrong idea of what Jesus' intentions were. 
Now, in spite of all this, and I'm sure there were other reasons, Jesus asked for the drink anyway. So a few years back, I took my family to go see UCLA play in the Sun Bowl. We drove all the way to El Paso, Texas, you know, got a hotel room, got up in the morning, went through all the activities, went to the stadium. We got our seats. I had amazing seats, three rows back on like the 50-yard line. It was awesome. I was super excited to be there to see a bowl game. First time ever going to a bowl game. Whole family were there. And the crowds are filling into the stadium. And in the row next to me comes an entire group of bikers. And they sit in the row right next to me. And I'm not talking about the kind that live in the suburbs and ride 10 speeds and wear spandex. That's not the kind of biker I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the kind that live in the barrio that ride Harleys and wear their colors on their vests. Now, you can imagine I was a bit uncomfortable in this situation, trying to size up this rowdy group of guys. So I figured the best thing I can do is to start a conversation, kind of feel out the, the water here. So I start a conversation. I cannot tell you how, how relieved I was to find out in the middle of that conversation that not only were we all, were we all UCLA fans, but, but we, in a funny way, we had a lot of things in common. We had similar political views. We had similar social views. We had similar views on religion. And so we ended up having a grand old time there with this group of guys in our family cheering for UCLA and watching the game. You know, maybe that's why Jesus initiated the conversation with the Samaritan woman, to show his followers and us that we aren't all that different when it comes right down to it that we aren't as different as we might think at first. You know, recently in our world, our society, there's been a lot of discussion about our differences, political, gender, religious, you name it. And I don't think anyone here has a problem that we have differences, that people are different. But I do think I want to caution us, the church, when we have these conversations. Because sometimes in these conversations, we run the risk of focusing too much on our differences and not enough on what we have in common. And as a result, we can get divided over these things. And you and I all know the world is incredibly divided right now. So I want to take a detour for just a minute in our lesson because I want to skip down to a verse I didn't read at the beginning, verse 27. I think we're going to learn something interesting there. In verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? So here in verse 27, we learn that as Jesus was having his one-on-one -on -one with this woman, that his disciples who had gone into town to get supplies had come back and they found him talking to her and they were uncomfortable. They were a bit surprised themselves. Why is he talking to this person? She's, she's not one of us. She's not like us. Now, none of them said it out loud, but they were thinking it. You know, as I thought more about it, I thought, you know, they didn't have the hindsight that we have. We look back at the story, and we can kind of see the bigger picture, but they were living it. And I don't think they had in the moment the understanding of what Jesus was doing in that moment. But years later, one of them, the Apostle Peter, he wrote this. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, 
but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You know, I think we need to enjoy our differences but I think we need to realize that they're fading, that they aren't going to last forever, that there is a point in time where they will fall and they will wither and God will replace them with something so much better. Here's my point. Let's honor, let's celebrate, let's enjoy our differences, but let's not elevate them to the point that we exchange the perishable, we exchange what is perishable what is imperishable for what is perishable. Let's not go that far. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you know the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, would you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and keep coming back to draw the water. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. He said to her, you are right when you say you've no husband. The fact is you've had five and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So as I read through this inner interaction, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty much convinced that once the surprise wore off, the woman thought Jesus was, was maybe some sun-stroked Jewish wanderer who, who went straight when he should have turned right at Albuquerque, right? I think she, she kind of realized, oh, he, I don't think he's all there. And I think that comes through in their conversation. I mean, first off, he asks her for a drink when he has nothing to draw with. Right? So I think he's already, right off the bat, it's like, okay, maybe you're not all there. What's going on with you? And then he starts rambling on about something about living water. And if, if you understand the text there, the living water is a reference to like rain or spring water. It's like moving water. But they were standing by a well, still water. And the woman kind of sarcastically points that out. The well is deep. Like, there's no living water here. It's a well. And then I think she humors him. She kind of plays along. So are you saying you're greater than Jacob? I mean, you can almost see her doing her business and kind of like, like, like an annoying kid, just kind of humoring him and keeping him off to the side. She's not even phased when he says, go get your husband. It's not until he says, you are right, you have no husband. In fact, you've had five and the man you're now with is not your husband. Now that is an unusually detailed and accurate description of this woman's life circumstance. And it's not until he says that is she suddenly tuned into the conversation. You know, when I first came to church, I was a bit blown away by the message because I was convinced that someone had told the minister I was in the audience because it sure seemed like he was talking to me a lot. You know, I think I, like the Samaritan woman, you know, I, Jesus got our attention when I came to church and realized that God's word is speaking so clearly and directly to me. I think it's a little bit like that woman. All of a sudden, she's like, 
wow, how does he know this stuff? I mean, shoot, you must be a prophet. And, you know, the more I learned and the more I listened to God's word, the more I realized how accurate it was and how much it actually spoke to me. Let me ask you a question. How much time are you spending reading God's word? I know things are crazy. I know it seems like the the ground under our feet is constantly moving. But God's word is solid ground. No matter what your life situation is, it can and does speak to it. But you need to keep listening to it. So let's bring things to a close here. Verse 20. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place to worship, where we must worship, is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. You know, once she realized that he wasn't just some sun-stroked Jew who got lost and turned the wrong way at Albuquerque, she starts to involve and she, she engages him in an actual legitimate conversation. Like I said, they had more in common than what, what may have seemed at first. And the first legitimate question she asks him is basically, who, who's right? You know, in this big debate between the Jews and the Samaritans, where do we worship? Who's right? You know, one of the most significant differences that the Jews and the Samaritans had had to do with where they worshipped. Now, the pagans, they worshipped all over the place, on any high place or any place they thought was special. But the Jews and the Samaritans, they both had in common this belief that there was only one place to worship. But for the Samaritans, it was Mount Gerizim, which, by the way, is where they were when this conversation took place. They were at the base of Mount Gerizim. But the Jews believed the one place to worship was Mount Zion or where the city of Jerusalem was. Now, this debate between the two people was so heated that different times in their history, they actually would get violent over it. So this wasn't a softball question. This woman was asking a legit question of Jesus. And he he replies in verse 23, A time is coming, has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. In other words, Jesus, Jesus basically says, neither. Neither are right. Like grunge music, like, like the Stone Temple pilots, you know, grunge music? The time of Stone Temple worship on some high place had come to an end. And the time of alternative worship by anyone, anywhere, regardless of their ethnicity, their gender, or any other earthly difference, for that matter, had now begun. Here's the point, and here's the thing you need to walk away with today from this lesson. In this new era, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you worship. What matters is that you worship. That's what matters. So all of our differences aside, what lasts, what matters, is that we worship God. And that's what we're doing here this morning. 
That's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's why he initiated the conversation with this woman. That's why we celebrate, but we don't elevate our physical differences because God's word has promised us, promised us something so much greater, eternal life, which unlike our earthly differences will never fade or wither. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time to be together. Thank you for this opportunity to come together as people with all of our differences, but as one in Christ. We look forward to the day that we will be in eternity with each other, worshiping you and enjoying the incredible blessings of eternal life. Father, I thank you for the friends I have here and the relationships that we have. I thank you for all the differences that we display in the great variety. But God, help us never to remember how precious eternal life really is. And let's never trade it for anything. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Same, just the same soul